0: Palm sunday and then and then obviously Easter Sunday, we have a lot of people that come in that maybe only come in once or twice a year uh, that visit us only periodically or maybe new visitors come in. I just want you to understand as we prepare for that this uh, honestly, I mean it when I say our altar is always open. I don't want people restricting what the Holy Spirit is doing in you because you feel like you'll be out of order to express uh, praise to God. Uh, The model of church that we have does not necessarily reflect uh, always the biblical model. doesn't mean we don't do an unbiblical model. It just means there are lots of varying degrees of what you could call church in the Bible. Right? People like to argue over it because they get stuck in what their version is they think should be church. right? you got a whole movement of people that say churches should be in houses. Well, yeah, there, there's definitely house churches. Well, churches shouldn't be in houses. Well, there's definitely preaching in synagogues. There, there's both. In the New Testament, there's all kinds of expressions of worship. Do you know why? Because God is not in the method or the model. He is above the method and the model. And we have to be careful as believers, as we come together and we say Palm Sunday, that we be careful not to create a method or a model. We don't do things out of just religious tradition and obligation. Maybe some of you in this morning thought maybe we were going to have some palm branches. Well, that might be fun. We might do that one Sunday, but we might not. Why? Because God is not interested in our methods and our models. There's something he calls that. In the word of God, he says, I can't move because of your tradition. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Because what we need to understand about the word tradition, it's trade addition. Trade addition. And we've traded the presence of God for the method of God. We've traded His authority in the moment, we've traded his voice in that moment for a method of his doing. And we have to be very careful not to do that. So what I want to talk to you today is, you know, what's funny is is, um, I posted, I made a post yesterday that had a bunch of banners that I said I ordered for our church and I don't know if I just pastor a group of, of delinquents, which is what I'm going with, or you all just didn't get that it was April Fool's. I'm not really sure, but apparently everyone loved the banners. And so I guess I'm ordering a few of them. But everyone seemed to love the, the, one, that, the one that got the most likes out of all of them. was one that said, we got that new wine here. Happy hour, Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. And everyone really liked that. I don't know how well that'll play out there. People were like, what? I'm so confused. They won't get that. That's very church ease. Do you understand that? That's for us. That's how we attract the other people that are mad at that church and want to come to our church. That's how we get those, okay? And so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm laughing and I'm like, look at, and literally some of them, I expected Rachel to roll her eyes at me. I really did. I expected her to be like, you're, you're, you know, usually what she'll just say is, I love you. She uses I love you to express like 37 things. It's an entire language by itself, okay? The Smurfs have nothing on her language ability with I love you, okay? Some of you are processing that. It's very smurfalicious, right? Yeah, so, so... like she can say I love you and mean 400 different things with the I love you. So I just really expected the I roll I love you out of that. And she's like, these are great. I think people would come to our church if we put these up. And so I'm like, okay, Loki, I kinda like them too. So come, I was, here. come get back, yeah. Come get baptized here and get the hell out. That's hey, hey. Yeah. You gotta... some of you that were offended, you, you... You, you're, it's your brain that's thinking that. <laughs> Get hell out of the people. You, you, okay, all right, there it is. All right. <laughs> people would show up for that. All right. It could be powerful and funny. What have I said a million times? You don't have to trade personality for power. Amen? God is interested in your sense of humor. He has one too. Okay? He made you, it's an example shots fired It's going to be that kind of Sunday. Somebody's like it's Palm Sunday but I'm laying fists in a minute. That's how it goes. Everyone has sympathy for Pastor Rachel. I know. I get it, okay? You got a thing to say to me? You got something to say? That's okay, because I don't, here's the truth. I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you don't like what I have to say. I'm okay with you don't agree with me. I'm okay if you are completely and totally and utterly against what I have to say. I don't say it for you. I don't say it for your appeasement. I don't say it for your delight. I say it for his. And here's the reality is I learned as I began to get a platform that I was going to have to grow some thicker skin and get some tougher hide because people will always criticize what I have to say. They will always complain that my one-line sentence did not include the entire gospel. <laughs> but you didn't tell them about repentance. I said seven words. How was I supposed to fit that in? You didn't read the hashtags. It said at and the rest of the gospel included. That's what I'm going to do on every post. I'm just going to put parentheses. Insert what you care about here. Because here's the problem is that everybody wants my voice to be their voice because they don't want to use their voice. There are so many people concerned about what I have to say because God has given them something to say and they decided to say nothing. And that's the problem is that when God has put something inside of you to say And you refuse to say it, you will always criticize others that don't say it for you. I am not called to say what you're supposed to say. Otherwise, why would God tell you to say it? I am not called to do what God has called you to do. You are a unique person who God has put a birthing and a gift inside. He's given a calling and a plan and a purpose. And my calling is not to do your calling. That's not my phone to answer. I need you to understand that. So I am okay with the idea that I may get criticism from time to time because I don't live for man's approval. If you, if you find life in man's approval, you'll be killed on man's criticisms. So I'm not going to lie and pretend that pastor talk is, yeah, that's, I don't live for your approval. I like approval. Is there anyone in here that despises approval? You're a liar. I don't care anything about that. Yes, you do. You are made for that. It's a part of who God made you to be, to be connected to others, to love and express that love. Yes, it's okay to like approval. It's okay to like acceptance. There are a handful of people, some weird prophets, okay, in the Bible that are like, I don't want none of y'all's approval. Literally, Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah, God gives him a word and he says, deliver it harshly. That's the REN translation. Deliver it harshly. I need you to give it like this so they won't accept it. Can you imagine God telling you, hey, when you give this word, you'll be rejected? That goes against the nature of man, that goes against even the basic heart of man to to want to be rejected. So there has to be an obedience to Christ to be able to walk into things where you know going into it, you're rejected. Jesus came on Palm Sunday, accepted, knowing in a few days he'd be rejected. That the same message he was bringing a week before that brought hope to the people would also get him crucified. See, I'm sure he was glad and celebrated their palms, their celebration, their declaration over his life that the son of David had come in and the fulfillment of scripture of Zechariah when he rode into town on a donkey being celebrated and heralded as the Messiah coming in to fulfill scripture. But he very much understood what he was about to walk into. And so as you walk out who God has called you to be, there are going to be days where you are celebrated and there'll be days where you are criticized. There are gonna be days where someone says, thank you, and another day where someone says, get away from me. And it's okay to appreciate the thank you. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't become so thick-skinned or don't don't create such a barrier that you wall off the good parts as well. Okay? Okay. You have to stay steady in what you've been called to do, regardless of a crowd of compliments or a crowd of criticisms. There has to be both that you are able to face if you're going to see the fulfillment of what God has called you to do. So Zechariah chapter 9, I just referenced that, chapter 9, verse 9 is the fulfillment of Palm Sunday. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughters, Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. So when in Matthew 21, 9, this is when we see Jesus ride in on the donkey on Palm Sunday and fulfill this particular scripture. Lowly, he rides in on a donkey, not a horse, not a nice horse, just a little donkey, And when he rides into Jerusalem, he's met with a crowd of accolade. He's met with a crowd of compliments, a crowd of praise. Only for that same crowd to turn into the ones calling for him to be crucified. And we're going to have both that we face in this season that we're walking to as a church. And we have to learn where to put our eyes and where to put our hope and where we're supposed to be focused. And what we can't do is rely on models and methods and not the intimate expression of what God is saying to you. See, I don't think that Jesus, if he didn't hear from the voice of God, he was God, but I don't think any of us could actually fulfill the call on our life if we're judging and measuring the success based on whether we are complimented or criticized. Sometimes I think we measure that as the fruit of our ministry. Well, look how many people like it. That means it's fruitful. That does not make it fruitful. Nor does how many people criticize it make it fruitful. There are a whole group of people who have relied on the fact that they are beaten up as a sign that they are bigger martyrs for the gospel. Look how much abuse I take. I am such a martyr. And so they say things actually to get the negative response. Do you know that? So they can say, look at how worldly everyone is around me. I'm standing out here, uh, you know, proclaiming in the wilderness. I'm the John the Baptist. Nobody understands but me and God. If everyone just knew what I knew. And what happens is is that you walk alone and you never see the plan of God, God fulfilled in your life because you are walking based on a model of methods and models And not his intimate voice. It's important and imperative. Let me say it this way. It's imperative in this next season. That what we're walking into. That we are listening actively to what God is calling for our lives. And we are stepping into who God has called us to be. It's imperative that we find our strength in the Lord. In his presence. In a personal relationship that we have with him. If we're going to navigate what's in front of us. I stood up on this pulpit a year ago. And I said to you that we were entering into a Joseph season. And since then, it's been echoed across the body of Christ. People have written articles on it. Sid Roth has hosted people talking about it, that we are entering into a season like Joseph, where the church is going to be the one with the storehouses of grain, not just physical wealth, but the hope of the world that's going to be in there. It's been echoed. Over and over again. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm telling you what's in front of you so that you can navigate it better. I said that we would. a lot of people were saying it's going to be a bright and glorious year. It's going to be great. I'm telling you right now, they were not hearing the voice of the Father. What they were doing was they wanted likes. They wanted compliments and they did not want criticism. And when you want compliments and you are afraid of criticism, you will say things just to get a like, but you will be out of alignment of heaven. The reality is, is that the bearing of whether you get complimented or criticized should have nothing to do with how you walk with God. And so I said things that get me criticized, amen? (laughs) Can I tell you one of those? I'm going to get political for a minute. What? I never do that. If you're new here, you know that. People will say, I'm, glad. I'm happy that you never get political. I'm not really getting political. I'm getting heavenly. It just has to do with a political figure, okay? Um, so I rarely ever say anything that's in the political spectrum because this is God's kingdom, not man's kingdom, and I'm not here to be a prophet for man's kingdom. That's not my job. My job is not to be a voice in the wilderness for man's kingdom. My job is to be a voice for the kingdom of God, to be a leader in the kingdom of God, to be a son and a servant in the kingdom of God, not to be the voice of the kingdom of man. So I'm not, I'm not getting, you could clap on that one. That's okay. Some of you are like, but I want to hear what he has to say. So if I applaud louder, he won't say it. Maybe I'm going to say it because I think that you need to know what God is doing in this season. Okay. And then we're going to talk about how we get there. So as rough seasons come, I said we, we were, did not see the end of it. There would be more trouble on the horizon. Have you noticed and seen this phenomenon that's happening for the first time? Maybe in most of our lifetimes, some, some of the older generation may have seen this one or two times, but most of us have never seen uh, waking up uh, on a Monday morning or waking up and finding out that overnight banks were closing. That suddenly banks were becoming insolvent and unable to pay out their, their money. That the largest... Bank that loans to Silicon Valley, which is where all of our new modern technology comes from, is, woke up and it suddenly was insolvent. People had withdrawn all their funds till they couldn't give them any more money. And so people made a run on the bank and it closed multiple banks. And now we see there's hearings in Washington, D.C. talking about the run on the banks. I told you that in this season, we would have the storehouses. They would not. What did you think was going to happen with that? You're watching people lose their wealth, lose the store. I said we would have the storehouses. They would not. The bank is the storehouse of their wealth, and they are closing. Don't get worried. I don't think they're all going to close. No one needs to run. I'm letting you know that what I've spoken to you is coming to pass and being fulfilled, that we are going to be the hope of the world again. And that God will use the church in this season. I said it, I released it, and it's happening now in this season. (laughs) And I said that we had not seen the end of it, that it was not about to get better. There was still more trouble coming, but that the body of Christ would be safe in that season. Amen? Amen. And now we're beginning to see it. Um, I've told you guys before, I've talked about it. I'm going to tell you this. I've talked about it from this, is that I'm friends with a lot of prophetic voices. Uh, that have spoken into political climates, have spoken into presidential elections. I think all of us have heard that before. I got this group of friends over here that called the election as it happened. And I got this group of friends over here saying, don't worry, he'll be back. I had both of those. I was in both of those camps and I was talking to both of those people and I was telling one, good job, and the other one, repent. Okay, I was the guy saying, bro, he did, it's 2023, Nothing has changed. Do you think maybe now you should say, I got it wrong? Okay, so I'm that guy that has taught you guys that there's nothing wrong with stretching your prophetic voice and then realizing you missed it. That's just fine. Say what you think God is saying. If you mess it or miss it, say it. There's nothing wrong with that. And and, and so I want to bring accountability to the body of Christ and making sure that we're only, only, Listening for God's approval, not man's approval. That's why it's so important. Because as I stand up here and release words over our nation, some people may not like that. Some people may really like that. There's a whole camp where if I'll just say, Trump's going to be our next president, I will all of a sudden get invited to things. There's a whole other camp where i will just say, no, he won't. They will disinvite me. They will not even pick up my phone anymore. I know this. I know people who called the 2020 election accurately, prophetically, every detail of it, and they got death threats from the body of Christ. Even though when it all was said and done, they called it exactly accurately. They, they called every detail. And they said, we need to pray against it. So I understand that what when we, when we start to step into who we're called to be, I'm giving you my story to help you with your story. Amen? Okay? When we start to step into who we're called to be and, and move in what God has called us to do, whatever that looks like, there will be people that do not understand what God has asked you to do. There'll be people that come alongside you and say, hey, that's a little bit dangerous or that's a little bit wild, that's a little bit reckless, that's not as safe as it should be. No one has called the church of God to be safe. He's called us to be dangerous in dangerous places. Our job is not to be safe in dangerous places, it's to be more dangerous than those they call dangerous. All right? Goliath found out real quick who was really dangerous in that fight. So I, I'm, I'm going to say this and release this because I feel like it's in timing. So on September 16th, I sent a message about a couple of days before that I had had a dream. And so I just feel like this relevant and I'm going to drop it. And then we're going to move on to something else because I feel like I need to give it to you. I've, I've released this on some broadcasts that I've been on. I've released this uh, on a Sunday night. I've never said it on Sunday mornings. But in the middle of September, and I have it time stamped and dated, I sent the, a dream that I had to Chris Reed. Uh, who is the senior pastor and president of Morningstar, Rick Joyner's ministry, who stepped down. Now he's taken over. I sent this to Chris Reed on September 16th of last year and said, what do you think of this? Before I release it, I want to make sure this is a word from the Lord. Uh, and he agreed with me. Yes, this was a word from the Lord. What I didn't do was overinterpret. So I'm going to give this to you because I feel like as we're starting to see things come into season, you need to know uh, what God is doing and what I think God is doing. So on September uh, 16th, I gave this word to Chris Reed that I'd had a couple of days earlier in a dream. In my dream, I was dreaming and I had three minutes of complete and total darkness. Um, let me say it a different way. I had three minutes, about three minutes. I'm not putting a timestamp on it. There was no clock in the darkness. But I had three minutes of absolute and total nothingness. Not just darkness, not like there was a light off. It was just nothing. Anybody ever dream of nothing? Like I dreamed of nothing, memorably nothing. So much so it was like, this is strange that there's nothing. And so I knew that God was trying to get my attention. I rarely remember my dreams. So for this to be so vivid, I knew it was a word from the Lord. And so I dreamed of nothing. And then all of a sudden, like a school play, the lights came on slowly into the darkness. And I saw a news station set, and it was the set of Sean Hannity. And the reason why that's significant is because I don't watch Sean Hannity. I don't watch... I, I rarely watch anything. I might catch a clip or two here or there of something else, but I haven't seen anything by Hannity for several years. Okay, like I said, I'm not a political pastor. Someone should say amen to that. Amen. I t- I say what heaven says, not my political agendas ever. Okay, I, I'm a person. I got beliefs. They're just not for this pulpit. Okay, that's how it works. They're not for the pulpit. And so you're okay to have a political leaning. I might argue with you independently and privately. We can have a conversation, but you don't have to worry about coming to this church and hearing any of that, okay? And so, but I feel like this is important. So I saw this Sean Hannity and I'm like, what is this? Lord, I don't watch that, okay? And, and so as it faded in, I heard these words and it troubled me. I heard these words. He, it said this, Sean Hannity came on the air and he just had one thing to say about 10 seconds and he said this, he said, this just in breaking news, Donald Trump has won. And then it faded to black again and for 3 solid minutes i dreamed of nothing once again nothing and it w- so this dream was boxed in by these two moments of nothingness and I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? Now, if you have a political leaning, if you have a, a conscious bias, if you have uh, something in you that has a desire or, 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 or an agenda at hand, there are a lot of ways you can interpret that. Now, one of the things that I've taught you and I teach in our school is that a lot of times we see or hear God clearly, we just don't always understand what it means. So we'll hear him, we have no clue how to interpret him. And so in this, one of the things that I teach is do not over-interpret what you hear God say and don't interpret it through a filter of your own bias, a filter of your own desires. So when I said that, if you had a desire in here, you may have filtered what I said. Let me, let me recap what I didn't say. I did not say Donald Trump won a presidency, did I? I did not say Donald Trump had won a nomination, did I? I didn't say he won a political state, did I? I didn't say he won a legal battle, did I? I don't know what he won in this dream because heaven did not reveal it to me, and for me to overinterpret it is a mistake. Yeah. So at the time I sent it to Chris Reed, I said I, this may have something to do with at the time the, the FBI raid at Mar Largo. And so I knew about that. I said, maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know the interpret. Does everyone hear me? Are you hearing me here? Can everyone you understand? I don't know the interpretation. So don't take it political. But I believe that there are certain signs that mark the season that we're in, and this is a national sign, that if you're unaware, if you have not followed the news, that Donald Trump has just been indicted. First time a U.S. president has been indicted on criminal charges after he's left office. And so it is a marker in our history. It's a marker in our nation. And it gives us a clue to the season that we're in when words are coming to pass. Amen? And so what was my dream? My dream was this. This just in breaking news, Donald Trump has won. So Pastor Wren, what are you saying? I'm saying I still don't have the interpretation, but it is possible that's it. It is possible that's it. It is possible that what we will see from that dream that I have is that we will see him win that legal challenge and it'll be a marker for the season that we're in. Okay? Does that mean it has to be that? No. It could be something else, right? But I believe that there's a good chance that's what it means. And so I'm sharing that with you because that, what I just said, may be popular with many people or it may be unpopular with lots of people. I may get banned on Facebook for it. But there has to be a moment where we're faithful to declare and show what God has said to us regardless of what people will think about us. We have to stand for our faith. And some of you are like, why well, don't hear from God. I'm talking about just standing for God. I'm talking about you hear from God. Every one of you in this room hear from God. If you don't hear from him audibly, if you don't hear from him from a prophetic place, you hear from him right here. This is his spoken word. You hear from him. And when God speaks to you through the word of God and says, this is what I have for your life and this is the standard that I expect from you, it may be unpopular, but I want you to stand on my word. See, the word of God has become in our culture a very unpopular thing. The love of God is now considered to be uh, um, uh, not, not love, hate. The love of God has become bigoted. And there has to be a moment in our culture where we just say we're going to stand on the word of God. We're going to believe in his truth regardless of whether we're criticized for it, made fun of for it. Anybody been made fun of their faith before? Usually when someone is actively engaged in making fun of your faith, it just turns out they might be the most miserable people you've ever met. Why in the world would you allow yourself to be hurt by a miserable person trying to make you miserable? Amen? Amen? So what happens is, is because of the season that we're in. There are strategies that must change. There are methods that have to be uh, done away with. We have to change the strategies of what we're walking into in order to to see the fruitfulness of God, to see the promises of God being fulfilled in ours. And the old strategies will not always work. All of you guys like the banner that said new wine, but some of us want to live in the old wine and we never want to switch to the new. And what we've done is we've said, hey, this has worked for us in the past, so we're just going to keep doing what's worked. We get caught up in models and methods that don't survive. You know what they call that in the business world? Out of business. We were talking the other day about being nostalgic about Blockbuster. Anybody remember Blockbuster? Right? Anybody glad they went out of business cuz you found two or three tapes you still haven't returned and you know the late fees are in the thousands? Right? We were talking about it because their website, they said rewinding, like they changed their website for the first time, like they're about to come back. And some of the ones that had late fees were freaking out. But they did not adapt to the changing environment. They decided to rely on what's always worked for them, the same methods and models that have always brought them success, the late fee, the in-person video, and something else had changed in the environment that their method and their model no longer worked for, and they went out of business. And there are so many believers that we sit and we we focused on the past glories that we've been through because we have great testimonies. And so we want to live by the previous models and methods. Let me give you a story if you have your, your sword with you. In Judges chapter 15, the book of Judges, before there were kings, there were judges in the nation of Israel and they ruled over Israel and they judged Israel. In, in Judges chapter 15, it's page 294. If you're a new Christian and just getting used to your Bible, you'll get that joke later. In Judges chapter 15, we learn about someone named Samson. And Samson was a judge over Israel. He's also the guy that represents the Hulk in the Bible, okay? He's a man of like unnatural strength. Okay, he, this this dude is buff, okay? He, he literally represents the Hulk. This is where they get the story. You're like, oh man, Marvel's so clever. No, they ripped it all off from the Bible. You can go through the whole Bible and find Marvel characters in it. So we got Samson and he's this strong guy and he's able to, to uh, fight with great strength. And then in Judges chapter Fifteen. We get to verse 16. We're going to talk about this. Basically, what's happened is is that, uh, let me back up before I read this, is that what's happened here is that Samson has decided to pick a fight. He actually ties a bunch of foxes, or he takes a bunch of foxes, puts their tails together, puts torches on them, and sends them out into the Philistine fields and lights fires everywhere. So these foxes go running around, and their tails are lighting fires all over, and he's burning down. Uh, Philistine uh, fields, okay? And the Philistines surprisingly get upset about this. I know. They're not very happy, and so they send 3,000 men that, um, uh, that are attributed to the Philistines. They're not from Philistine, but they're in partnership with them. They send 3,000 men to bind up Samson and capture him. Here's the problem is that what God has called you to sometimes requires a fight. And there's so many times that we are so upset because the enemy is attacking us in great number and with overwhelming odds. And we're upset because we didn't expect it when we're the ones that picked the fight in the first place. See, when you hit your knees and prayed for breakthrough, you picked a fight. You lit a fire in the enemy's field. When you hit your knees and declared your city will be safe, you picked a fight against the enemy's territory. When you showed up to church this morning and said, I will resist the world, you picked a fight. You lit a fire. And then you're surprised when the enemy shows up with overwhelming odds to stop you. You're the one that's burning his territory down. We need to learn who is in position of battle when they are. So what happens is here in Judges 15, and we'll start here with verse 16 is this. Actually, let me back up here just a bit. First of all, what happened is is that they weren't able to tie him down. They came to bind him and they couldn't do it. And then it says in verse 15, then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. This was not an old jawbone. This was a fresh jawbone. Some of you don't realize that there is strength when things are fresh, but when they're allowed to become old, they become brittle. There are a lot of things that God has called you to that you've allowed to age inside of you. And because you have no fresh jawbones, you have no fresh weaponry inside of you, everything you're using is the old method, the old way it becomes brittle. If you're going to take on the enemy, you need a fresh weapon in your hand. You don't need something that is rusted over. And so then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, a heap, two heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I struck down a thousand men. Someone say a thousand men. Verse 17 says, as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand. I want you to hear that again. As soon as he was done killing them all. Speaking it out, he, what did he do with the jawbone? He threw it from his hand. See, some of us get caught up in tradition, which I said was trade addition. Some of us are trading and marketing and packaging what God has done. See, what we do here in the United States is we look and we say, hey, a jawbone is good for killing a thousand Philistines, and we want to package what God has given us to use one time. Because it worked and was effective, we think we need to market what God is doing. And so we put a package on it and we label it, jawbone, as seen with Samson. We want to put a celebrity endorsement said by Samson, and we want to put right on the package, kill 1,000 Philistines, effective for warfare. Now that jawbone was effective for killing 1,000 Philistines. I'm sure it was covered in blood. I'm sure it was chipped up. But it was effective in killing a Philistine. But it says as soon as he was done with it, he threw it down. He understood its intended purpose was to be used one time. But we want to make a method out of it. We want to make a model out of it. We want to package it and start selling it to the other warriors, the other churches. the other. This is a good system for you to use because it worked for us. That's how we got a 1,000 in our church. And so we want to market the method of God instead of rely. On his provision in the moment. And what ends up happening is we, we, we learn to disconnect the strategy of heaven in that moment. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament and ask yourself, what was the warfare strategy of heaven? What you will find is you cannot come up with a method. Every single time, most every single time, he created a different strategy each time. With one, he's like, get rid of all your men. You have 10,000 men, that's too many. Get down to 300. Shatter a bunch of pots. Make a lot of noise. The next one, let your worship leaders go first. Send the praise in ahead of time. The next one, don't fight at all. Every single time there was a different strategy to win the warfare. The next one, just raise your hands, Moses. Have someone help you raise your hands as long as your hands are up. See, that's the thing is that because you never see Moses raise his hands to get a victory again. He raises his hands one time and the victory comes. He never raises his hands again. We have to be careful that we are not creating models and methods that we think are the key to victory instead of the voice of God. Instead of listening to God intently. Amen? See, we want to market the miracle, we want to put a label on it. Let me say it this way. Uh, Rachel wears contacts. Pastor Rachel wears contacts. Uh, and um, see, if, if any of you in here wear contacts, then you know that they have a usable period. Okay? And that period, uh, and you wear them during that period, they can be effective to help you to see better, right? So you're able to see more effectively with, contact, with her contacts in for the period in which they're determined to be useful. So Rachel likes to test that limit until they've gone past their usefulness, okay? Our kids like to test that limit, right? Let me see how, any, anybody in here wear contacts and it's like, use them one month and you're on like month six, right? She, yeah, she did marry, that's true. I'm not saying it's her fault she's testing the limit, okay? I just said she was. Don't overinterpret what I said. So she's wearing those past her limits. So Rachel likes to test them until they've gone past their usefulness. Then the same contact that gave her vision begins to disrupt her vision. If she continues to use the contacts, she'll cause an infection and irritation that can lead to blindness. So they're they're there to help her to see and using them past their usefulness will cause her actually to not see. And there are so many people that God has given a tool and we use it past the time that God has allotted for us to use it. And we don't realize that what once helped us to see is now making us blind. And it's keeping us from having success. It's keeping us from moving forward. Now, what's interesting, you say, well, you just change it out for for a new set, the same exact set. You know, but the problem is, is that with, with, with contacts, you have to go back to the doctor periodically and they have to look and change your prescription. Your eyes change over time. So even if you had a fresh pair of the same ones to put in, even if you kept it fresh but you used the same model, the same method, the same tool, if you took the same prescription and put it in your eyes when you were 18 and then put that in your eyes when you were 48, you would realize they don't help you see anymore. In fact, they might make your vision even worse. You are constantly changing. You cannot move. Use the same exact pair of contacts. The world is constantly changing. We cannot use the same exact strategies, the same exact models. You have to grow because otherwise you'll find what once brought you to life is bringing death. What once helped you to see is bringing blindness in your life because you want to do Christianity the same way you've always done it. You want to pray for people the same way. You want to use the same outreach. You want to to pray the same way. You want to do your finances the same. You want to do, you know, I get up every morning and I read one chapter of this and one chapter of that, and you haven't changed anything about your faith in years. And you just say, I don't know why I can't see anymore. Because God has changed you, so you have to change with it. When God grows you, you have to grow. You have to change the methods. You have to change the models. And you have to listen to the voice of God in order to do that. Amen? And we have to recognize that God has called us to start fires, which starts fights. We have to begin to move in a place where we begin to equip ourselves for the battle. And that means in the moment, being able to understand what it is to to be equipped, what so do we need a donkey? Do we need a jawbone? See, I think Jesus was, I, I, I wondered, why did Jesus ride in on a donkey? Most people will answer, well, to fulfill scripture in Zacharias. Well, why was that scripture? Why did he need to ride in on a donkey? I find it very interesting that Samson defeats a thousand Philistines with, with a weapon that was not considered a weapon. Do you know, in fact, the jawbone wasn't a weapon until Samson turned it into one. Do you know what the jawbone is actually used for of a donkey, what ancient cultures actually used a jawbone for? It was an instrument of worship. It was pretty much the only use of a donkey's jawbone. They used it to make um, a primitive worship instrument. And so here's Samson defeating the Philistines with worship. Jesus rides in on a donkey that has a jawbone, and the people worship and praise him. And I believe in that very moment, he was defeating the enemy over your life, that he was using the jawbone of a donkey to bring a victory just in a different way. He had changed his prescription just a bit to make it a little more clear. And we need to understand that God wants us to be prepared. And we can't always rely on someone else to give us the tool that we need. See, Samson in that moment had to find his own tool in the sand. He had to find what God had provided for him in that moment. And what's happened is is that we rely on other people to do the work for us. You know, I heard a preacher this week saying... And and you guys will appreciate this. I I listened to this preacher and he was talking about how preachers can preach on anything. You can give us anything and we will turn it into a sermon. And he was absolutely right. Let let me give it to you like this. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. He said, I want to talk to you today. (laughs) Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Come on, somebody say amen. See, you missed it, though. You missed it. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Where does it say she's selling the shells? By the seashore. She is selling seashells that she got from a place where they're free. People are coming to the seashore and buying Sally's shells, and right next to her, they're free. Some of us want someone else to package what God has for us, and we're willing to pay for a word. We're willing to pay for that because we don't want to do the work to go find out what it is that God has for us directly. See, Sally could take those seashells and she could clean them up real nice. She could polish them and she could present them in a nice package and people would pay for that rather than go find it themselves because if they find it themselves, let me tell you, when I was, uh, we, me and Rachel, we took a cruise down to Mexico and when we were in Mexico, we were walking along the strip of shores and every one of those vendors right next to the ocean, 30 feet from the ocean, were selling those beautiful conch shells. Oh, they were cleaned up. They had polished them. They were shiny. But me, being the good steward of my resources that I am, turned from one of the vendors and I thought to myself, I want one of these shells, but I'm not willing to pay for it. I want one of these shells, but I'm not going to pay that vendor for it. So I turned around and I walked 20 feet across the street. And there were some stairs leading down to the water. I stepped down the stairs and I looked down. And what do I find? A perfect conch shell. 30 feet from where that guy was trying to charge me money to buy it. And I picked it up. You know, when I picked it up, though, there was something a little different about that conch shell than there was about the one that was for sale. See, mine stunk a little. It smelled like the ocean. It smelled like rotten fish. And it was a little dirty. See, I had to take it, I had to rinse it, I had to scrub it, and I had to polish it myself, but I didn't have to pay for that, which God had given me freely. But in order for it to look like the one that was paid for, I had to put a little effort into it. There are too many of us that God is providing what we need in the season, but we don't want to put the effort to get cleaned up to look like what it's supposed to look like. We'd rather get something pre-packaged than clean it up ourselves because cleaning it up means we have to work for it. Yeah. it means we got to put something into it, amen. Yeah. See, but Sally had figured something out. Sally figured out that people will pay for that. Because people don't want to do the work themselves. And what we do is we criticize all these churches where pastors are spoon-feeding their congregations, but it's not the pastor's fault that people won't go and pick it up for themselves. It's not the pastor's fault that you have the word of God right here free, but that most of the time, most people, the only time they get the word of God is when the pastor presents it to them polished. The only time they receive it is when I clean it up, articulate it, and make it look good for you. Because reading it yourself means you have to process it yourself. And most Christians just aren't willing to do that. See, Sally figured out that even though it was sitting right next to him for free, most people would never pick it up, so it's better that they got it for something. And so what we end up doing is we end up just being a product of what's been sold to us rather than knowing how to do it ourselves. Look, we, we live in a society where we literally almost know how to do nothing ourselves anymore. We don't know how to grow things. We don't know how to make things. We just know how to buy things pre-done for us. We couldn't figure it. I'm telling you right now, if the lights went off, most people in big cities would not make it a week. They wouldn't. Most people in the world couldn't live without air conditioning. We don't know how to survive without something being packaged and sold to us. And God is saying, what I have to give you is free, but it's going to require your effort to clean it up. See, God is saying, what I have for you is a weapon of warfare. What I have for you is a strategy from heaven to see you have success. What I have for you is treasures, but you're going to have to pick up that treasure and you're going to have to polish it yourself. You're going to have to put work and energy into making it something that resembles what I want it to be in your life. And then when you're done with all that effort, when you're done learning how to use that shell, When you're done using that jawbone, I may ask you to lay it down because I have something better for you next. And the question is, are we going to live on the things we once had, on the methods, on the models that we've used, or are we going to be a church, a people that are committed to God? What do you have for us now? What do you have for us now? And I'm wrapping it up right here. What do you have for us now? I don't want to be the person that misses what God has right in front of me because I need everything to be perfectly packaged for me. I don't want to be the kind of person that misses the calling of what God has called me to do because it looks like it's work. I don't want to be the person that is so committed to the way I used to do it that I can't see the winning strategy now. So if, if you have done something in your life, if you have walked through things in your life where you have seen past victories and you are still continuing to use that model and method and you're just not seeing a breakthrough and you're like, God, I don't understand because this is what worked before. Look, the word of God doesn't change. So the things in here, the principles in here, the strategies in here are still good today as they were the day it was written. But how we implement them does change. How we move forward in them does change. That's why the word of God gave us all kinds of different models for what church needed to look like. Because it could look like so many things based on the culture and the need of that. Do you know why they met in homes in the beginning? Not because that was the better growth strategy. They met in homes because Christianity was illegal. You couldn't rent a building and put up a sign. Find Jesus here. You'd be arrested. That's why in America we have church buildings, but in China they're all underground. They can't put up a church. It's illegal. The strategy has to match what the weapon and the warfare that's being fought in front of them looks like. And so church has to look differently. Christians have to look differently. They have to witness differently. They can't stand on a corner with a sign that says Jesus loves you. It has to look different. The method and the model has to change and adapt to the warfare in front of us. And so if you've been using the same strategy, wondering why you get the, get the broken results you've been getting, it's time for those strategies to shift. It's time for that to shift. And so I want to change our mentality. I want to say this it's always about relationship, not about religion. Religion is a model and a method. When you're asking yourself, Lord, how should I do this? Why don't you start asking Him, Lord, how do you feel about this? Does this move your heart, God? God's not really interested in the one, two, three of your faith when your heart is absent from it. And so, a lot of times when, when I talk to people, they're so concerned about what they are supposed to do or not do. They're so concerned with the do nots and the do's that they've completely abandoned the relationship. Look, I, I can do all the dishes, I can do all the laundry. I know some of you are like, no. I didn't say I did. Calm down. I can do all the dishes. I can do all the laundry. I can make sure that my house is provided for and protected. I can check off all the boxes. It does not make a good relationship. If I don't have any fruit in my life, if I am not gentle, if I am not kind, if I do not love, if I am not long-suffering, then it doesn't matter how many do's and don'ts I check off the box, I'll never have a good marriage. And some of you need to recognize that your relationship with God is tied to the same thing. God doesn't want you to check off a box of the do's and don'ts. Like you can't just not do the stuff, but if it's done outside of relationship, then you're always gonna miss the mark. And if it's done outside of relationship, you will never understand how to walk in new wine. Can I get the pads up or something, Chris? Can I get some altar music, please? Yeah, come on. I'm going to have her come play. I want us to be a people that presses into the presence of God and not just on Sunday morning. We have to be more than Sunday morning. That's not enough to get fresh strategies. If all you ever do is have a a relationship with God on Sunday mornings, you will always fall back to methods and models that God has already said it's time to abandon. They are blurring your vision. They are no longer good for you because you're using what worked for you before and wondering why it doesn't work for you now. God wants you to move forward into the plans and purposes he has for you. It's time for the church of God to move into a season where we truly are the ones in control of the grain, where we truly are in the moment of the Joseph season, where God is beginning to raise you up and give you the tools and the strategy and the plan of heaven to provide in the middle of the famine joseph created he listened to heaven he interpreted the dream and when he interpreted that dream when joseph interpreted that dream it was a fresh word from heaven a fresh strategy from heaven that had never been given to the body of christ before and he said create storages for seven years and store up the grain and we will have the grain in the middle of the famine the people will be secure and god used that to bless and elevate Joseph's life because he was listening for the fresh strategy of heaven. We are in a Joseph season that it is necessary for us to have fresh strategies from heaven. God wants to give you fresh strategies from heaven to navigate this season with success. God has not called you to be defeated in this season. And if you are walking in defeat, Give up the old way of doing it. Let me give you that old way in closing here. The old way of you doing it your way. Some of you need to recognize you've been trying to do things your way, not God's way. You've been trying to do it according to your understanding, not His. You've been trying to do it based on what worked before, not what works now. Pastor and I worship God every Sunday with my whole heart. Have you sang unto him a new song? Have you given him something new? Have you changed up the way that you're doing it? Or are you just going through the motions? We can't be a church that goes through the motions. There's going to be an influx of people that come in that are broken, hurting, wounded. That need people with fresh manna to pour out on their lives with fresh oil to pour out on their lives. They have something new to give and release that over the body of Christ. Do you have something new to pour out, God, let us not be stagnated water. Let us not stay in our old ways, God. Let us not uh, be stuck in old methods that have been long past, Lord, that you've asked us to lay down. Lord, thank you for past victories, God, but we're looking for future victories now. We're looking for future breakthrough now. We're looking for future harvest now, God. And so, Lord God, we just declare that we will let go of the things you ask us to lay down and pick up the new, pick up the next pick up the next weapon you have for us God that we won't just rely on the past testimonies but God will be seeking for new testimonies Lord we give you glory for all the past ones we won't forget a single one but we won't try to box you into doing it the same way again God whatever new thing you have for us we just commit this morning that that's what you have for us God and we'll lay down our own understanding Our own desires to do it with what's comfortable. What's worked before. Give us new vision to see the plans and purpose of heaven in this season, God. That you're going to pour out on the earth in a new way. And that new does not mean it's not biblical. New does not mean it's challengeable that it's not you, God. Right now, see, there are some of us in here that says, I've never seen God do it that way, therefore it can't be from heaven. The whole Bible is God doing it a different way, according to his nature. There are some of you that have that religious spirit on you that says, because it's never been done that way, that can't be God. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're in this room, you gave that up a long time ago, but there's some of us that need to repent for saying, because it's not the way you always done it, it can't be you. And you've judged whether it's the Lord because it's not the old way. And you need to repent to that God and just ask the Lord, say, forgive me for thinking because it was new, it's not you. God, would you give us new strategies and not let us rely on the past ones? Would you give us new weapons, Lord? Whether it's a sword or the jawbone of a donkey, whether it's peculiar or comfortable, Lord, let us not rely on that which is mass produced, but what that which you pour out yourself. Look, I'm looking for homegrown, homemade heaven. I'm looking for what you have. I'm looking for something unique to me and you, Lord. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.